0: The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. We are looking at uh, the book of Psalms this summer. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to Psalm 33. Uh, we're uh, preaching uh, through the Psalms, just kind of picking up from one summer to the next, on from one psalm to the next, and so... Uh, last week we did Psalm 32, and we'll do Psalm 34 next week, and just kind of moving through, and then we'll get to where we get to, and then next summer we'll pick up where we left off. Um, so tonight we are in Psalm 33. So here's what I'm going to do I'm going to read the Psalm for us. We're going to ask for God to help us with this, and then we will look at this Psalm together. Psalm 33 Shout for joy. In the Lord, O you righteous, praise befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Make melody to him with the harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. For the word of the Lord is upright, and all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, All their host. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the people. The counsel of the Lord stands forever, the plans of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nations whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of man. From where he sits enthroned, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth, he who fashions the heart of them all and observes all their deeds. The king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation, and its great might it cannot rescue. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love, that he may be that he may deliver their soul from death, and may keep them alive in famine. O soul, our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield our heart is glad in him, because he, we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. Father in heaven, as we look to your word, we ask that you would help us to be people who praise you, because you are great and marvelous, and your word is true, and Lord, as we look at your word, would you give us your spirit to understand it, and to enjoy it, and to apply it in our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. I read a report recently that came out in 2014 entitled, All You Need Is Love, Communication Insights from Pop Music, Number One Hit. (laughs) And it studied the last 50 years up to 2009, uh, last 50 years of pop music. It looked at all the pop hits, over a thousand of them, and was looking at what were the uh, main themes of all these songs that were top hits, right? You know, like you you look at them and you're kind of like, wow you kind of get some insight into American culture and uh, who we are and what we like and love and so these were um, these are the key themes, these are 12 of them that came out of the report, right? The first one that came out, um, the main theme was loss desire, aspiration nostalgia pain, breakup right? I mean, how many, uh, I mean, Probably break up I mean, Taylor Swift probably makes up most of those songs. Rebellion, Inspiration, Jadedness, Escapism, Desperation, Confusion. Um, and the interesting thing about the report that they did, I mean, the reason they did it was basically to try to help people who write pop songs. Like, OK, what kind of key themes do you write about to make a song a pop song? Right. To, like, number one hit. But the thing that was interesting is that I mean, it's not like uh, you can like force people to like a song, right? You can't say like, I mean, we well, can force people to say like, this is our national anthem, whether you like it or not, right? Like, that's like the national anthem. But when it's a pop hit, like it, it reflects something about what's going on, and so it's interesting. You you look at this this study, and you see like in the '60s, songs about revolution and rebellion were a big deal, kind of waned in the '80s, and um, nostalgia and stuff like that became more. Uh, prominent as key uh, themes for songs in the 90s and 2000s, right? We are singing about the good old days um, and all that. And so it's interesting how when you look at the progression of how songs reflect who we are, you can see themes about what we value and what we like and what we love and what's important to us, Um, right? The songs reflect something about who we are and express the core of what's important to us. And... When we look at Psalm 33 tonight, um, we're looking at a song about, a, about songs, right? This is uh, a song about songs. So you have songs like, you know, uh, Piano Man, right? Piano Man, like, sing us a song of Piano Man. Like, it's a song about singing songs. Like, <laughs> this is what we have in Psalm 33, a song about singing songs, it is, uh, you start out in the first few verses, right? Praise befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. So they're jamming out with their guitars. Make melody him with him with the harp of ten strings. I mean, they've got a lot of guitars, right? Sing to him a new song, right? They're singing new songs to God. They're writing new songs about who he is and what he's done. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. So this should give you hope that what we're talking about are not songs that you have to sing really great. <laughs> like you, have to, you don't have to be a great singer. But there are songs that include uh, singing about who God is and and drawing attention to things about God that are important to him, right? So what do we sing, right? If if, If we're supposed to sing songs that reflect values, that reflect who God is and what's important to God, thankfully, God's given us a song about songs about him. And so when we look at this song, what we're seeing is that people who uh, know God, um, to know God is to praise God. That's just the basic underlying purpose of this song. And what we're going to be looking at are these four things that we see in the psalm about uh, key themes about what God wants us to sing about. Um, And the way we're going to look at this is um, verse 4 and 5 kind of give us the four main points, right? They're the they're the, the, for the word of the Lord is upright. That's one, and all of His work is done in faithfulness. That's two. His He loves righteousness and justice. That's three. And the earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. And then the sections that come after it are all kind of like those are like chapter headings, and then they kind of give they get filled out with the sections that come up. So we're going to look at these four things, these four themes of the songs that God loves. What God loves to, loves for His people to sing about. So you guys, cool tracking with me? All right, we're going to look at, first one, we're going to praise God for his perfect word. So verse 4, and then we're going to skip down to 6 through 9. For the word of the Lord is upright. Right? And then verses uh, 6 through 9, by the word of the Lord the heavens were made. Right? So this, is a, this, this section is all about saying God's word creates everything. Right, God's word is how He has created everything. He speaks everything into existence by the power of His word. Right, everything hinges upon His power and His word and what He said. Right, so He says, "Podium exist, air exist." Um, you know, so the Psalm goes on to say, "By the breath of His mouth, He made all their hosts." Which, well, you know, what He's talking about. <laughs> right, that's the hundred billion trillion stars that exist in the universe. They all exist by the power of His word. He gathers the water of the sea as a heap. I, know, I don't know about you, but seeing the water heaped together would be a pretty incredible sight. But God creates all the water of the world by the power of his word, just by, the, by his mere, merely speaking it, and he puts the deeps in storehouses. What's interesting is that um, God often uses water as a weapon in the Old Testament, right? You remember the flood, and then you remember how in the story of the Exodus, where he destroys His uh, the uh, Pharaoh and the enemies of God's people, that's kind of what this is referring to. He, he uses creation, um, and he keeps it in his storehouse. He has it all under control. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants stand in awe of him. What is, in, what is in view here is that God has created the entire world, and it's all marked with his finger mark, right? It all reflects who he is and his ownership. It reflects God and everything about him. Right, we we call this uh, this category. We we sing it in one of our songs. uh, Omnipotence, right? That that God is everywhere. That not only does He create everything, He didn't create it and stand back, but He created it and He's intimately there. Right? It says by the um, by the breath of His mouth, all our hosts. Right? That's an intimate picture, right? I mean, you have to be to be near something, somebody, like to get their breath, whether it's good or bad. You have to be near him, right? God is near everything that He has made. And then in verse nine, for He spoke, and it came to be; He commanded, and it stood firm, right? The picture there is is uh, like a commanding officer with all of his troops, right? The way God relates to creation is a commanding officer, and what what the troops do, like they stand at attention when they're called to attention, right? you, You see this in the life of Jesus, right, where He heals a centurion servant. Right. And the centurion comes to Jesus and he says, Listen, I, I, I my I need you to heal my uh servant, but listen, I don't need you to come because he recognized who Jesus was and he recognized the power with Jesus and he said, Listen, I'm like a I'm like any other man, I'm under authority. Right? I say to my my guys, go do this and they go do it, uh stop doing that and they stop doing it. Uh, recognize that Jesus does that with creation. That's what's going. In, that's what's in view here. God speaks to creation, and it absolutely happens. He speaks to the world, and it absolutely happens. And not only that, but it, this is not only God's creation that he controls with his word, but he's also referring to God's word, right? When God reveals himself, it's upright. It's true. It's good, right? It's not confusing. It tells us who he is, right? God doesn't write us... Uh, a letter about who he is and then put a, uh, through like a scrambling code and then hand it to us and then hope that we get the scramble, the, the scramble code to figure it out. No, he says, I am the Lord. I own everything and you owe me your life. <laughs> and that's true, right? That's that's what's true about God when he reveals himself by his word. So that's that's what's in view when it says, for the word of the Lord is upright, right? It's, it's looking at two things. It's creation, is cre- it's, it's owned by God because God made it. And then God reveals himself by his word. Um, so why does he, why does he say there's a key theme about songs, right? So if we're kind of like, kinda, we're going to kind of move through these relatively quickly. But what, what is, why is this a key theme of songs about God? Well, I mean, if you think about it. Um, have you ever had like a, a texting conversation where um, you text something to somebody and you realize that they didn't get it, like they didn't understand like the way you said it. Like somehow they come back and they're like really angry, like oh did you, did you mean that I'm like a total doofus and I don't understand how to pick up milk? Like I know what kind of milk you like, or you know like some, you have s- trivial things like that. But you have like communication breakdowns that happen all the time. With I you know I write such something and then you know somebody gets offended and they realize like oh I thought you were being a total jerk by ignoring me. And It's like no, I wasn't ignoring you. I just you know had other things going on. It, we communic, when we communicate with each other. Often, with our words, there's a communication breakdown. But what, say, what this is saying, the word of the Lord is upright. Is that when God reveals Himself, when He speaks to us, it's clear. It reveals who He is. It can be trusted, and know, and we know God through it, right? It's when we get to know God through His Word that we can trust. Like that's an incredible reality. We are getting to know when we look at this. When we look at this Bible. We get to know the creator of the universe, right? That he is a loving God who's kind and tender with weak and sinful people like us, right? He's a righteous God who won't let sin go unpunished, but he doesn't execute the punishment on us. He sent his son to take it on us, but his son who came, he walked our dusty streets and ate our rotting food and still enjoyed the world around him so that we could know God and sit at God's table, right? That, when we look at this, this word from God, we see a compassionate God who loves sinful and broken people like us, which should give us hope. Like, oh, I, I want to know that God. Right? So when, God, when, when this God speaks, he doesn't stutter. He reveals who he is. And he tells us clearly, this is who I am. This is what I'm like. And we can get to know him. And so, if that's true, and we get to know who this God is, we, we want to sing songs about, God, thank you for your word. Thank you that your word is trustworthy and good and helpful and clear. Right. So, that's why we sing songs like, like uh, Keith and uh, the, the Gettys. What's their first names? I can't remember. Anyhow. <laughs> Steve, yeah, there you go. The Gettys, they wrote, Speak, O Lord, right? Speak, O Lord, and reveal your, uh, as we come to you to receive the food of your holy word. Take your truth and plant it deep in us, shape and fashion us in your likeness, right? We sing songs, how firm a foundation ye saints of the Lord is laid for you in his excellent word, right? I kind of stumble over the words, it's been a long time. (laughs) But we sing songs about his word, right? Show us Christ, God, in the preaching of your word, show us who Jesus is. So this is one of the things that when the psalmist comes to like writing one of the key themes of God's songs, the first thing that comes to his mind is like if we're going to sing songs about God, we have to know who he is. So we want to sing songs about his word. The second thing that he goes to is you look at uh the second part of verse four, is we're gonna we praise God for his good plan, right? All his work is done in faithfulness. Right? We're looking at Verse 4, the second half of it, all his work, that is God's work, is done in faithfulness. And then he fills that out there in verses 10 through 12. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. So we have a contrast that's going to be happening here, right? It's going to say God's plan is a good plan, and all of our plans apart from God stink. And they won't happen. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the people. The counsel of the Lord stands forever the plans of his heart to all generations right the, we see a contrast going on between god's plans and our plans right we, the plans that god sets are from his heart you see that in verse 11 the plans of his heart to all generations this is not like some sort of like sterile um, academic strategic plan He's like, well, here's how we're going to do this, and I'm going to move my troops across the table, and, and they're going to happen. This is, this is a plan that comes out of God's heart, a good plan to seek out people. Right? you see that the plans of his heart stand forever? The counsel of the Lord stands forever to all to all generations. Blesses the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom He has chosen as His heritage. Now what? Now, what we shouldn't do with this verse is say like, oh, now America needs to choose God, and that's what has, it's in view, right? That's not what's in view here, right? This is not saying, blessed is the America whose God is the Lord. What he's saying is, blessed is the nation. He wants people of all nations, all ethnicities, to come into the true Israel. The true Israel is Jesus, right? We could talk about this at some point, but the true Israel is Jesus and everybody who's connected to him. That's the picture of the Bible, right? God loves Jesus, as the true one who's actually obeyed him, right? And actually loved God perfectly. And then when you look at the New Testament, it basically says, look, ethnicities don't matter. Everybody who's connected to Jesus, they're the true people of God, right? So you have in 1 Peter 2, right? It says, you know, we are a holy priesthood, a nation of his own possession that he loves, right? That is what's in view here. What they, this is God's good plan. And it's weird that, that God's good plan includes all of our all the train wrecks of our lives and all of our failed plans to bring us into his good plan, right? Instead of just kind of leaving us to our plans, the council of the nations, right, that don't don't come to anything, or the plans of the people, which which the which that means there is the intentions. So like you have like, what's your five year plan? That doesn't really happen, does it? <laughs> and then like the intentions of your heart, like this is what I'd really like to happen. It doesn't happen either. Right? Has that ever happened to you guys? Like, man, like I'd really like to be able to go to Disney World this fall, <laughs> but there ain't no way that's happening. <laughs> or maybe more serious things. Right? Uh, your job career, what you expected to look like. Um, who you expected your spouse to be, or how you expected your married life to look like. Who you expected your children to be. Who you expected, were you expected to, go to college or school or. You expected to move out of Manchester by this time, and now you're still here. Actually, all of those plans don't ever happen the way that we expect them to. But God's good plan is for us to know Him, right? The plans of His heart to all generations, His heart for you, might not be for your plans to happen. They might simply be for you to be blessed in knowing the true God. And to enjoy the heart of his love for you in Jesus. And so why does the psalmist put this here? Why is this here as a key theme for our songs, right? Well, we need to remember it. I mean, honestly, we come in here week after week and whatever happened in the last seven days has probably been something that's fit this kind of mold. Well, I was going to do this um, and then Something I got a text or something happened or something didn't go the way I expected it to and that rewrote my entire day, which rewrote the entire week or I found out something that rewrote my entire life or my how uh, I got fired from my job or things didn't happen the way I wanted them to and what we can be tempted to do is to think well things didn't happen the way I want them to which means God does not love me or God's flicking me or he's angry with me or he's, you know, Rebuking me, or something, right? We often we we interpret the events of our lives that happen negatively and project those onto God. God's God's angry with me. He's forgotten me, right? We we often have to remember the reason we need songs to sing about God's good plan is because we forget it, and we need to sing those truths back into our hearts, right? We need to sing. God, you are good. Okay, God, this week has not gone the way I expected it to. (laughs) But I need to sing your goodness to my heart because I am tempted to think that you have forgotten me and don't love me and hate me. But God, I know that's not true because your word, remember this, actually you begin to see the progression of how these things go together. Your word tells me who you are. And I need to sing that truth into my heart because, God, I want to know who you are and I want to enjoy who you are and I don't want to be left with this cracked heart with a clenched fist towards you. God, I, I want to be re- healed. I want to know who you are and experience your goodness because I know you're a good father. So, I mean, <laughs> we sing the song, You're a Good, Good Father. I know it's a simple song and some people kind of bash on it. I love it. It's a great song just to sing a simple truth. You're a good, good father and it's who you are and I'm loved by you, and it's who I am, right? I mean, it's a simple song. When we don't understand our, our lives and why they, they've gone the way they are, right, we sing, God moves in a mysterious way, right? We don't understand the way God moves, but we don't want to interpret those providences, those ways that God works in our lives and say, God, you're angry with me or you're mean, because there's this great line, and God moves in a mysterious way, like that old hymn, judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace, Behind a frowning providence, that's the the course of our lives. He hides a smiling face, right? We we need to sing those realities into our hearts, week after week. Maybe for you, for me, day after day. We just need to sing those truths into our hearts. So you're seeing how these song, these kind of prog- these progress along, right? So we're going to look at the third thing. So we're, we're praising God for His uh, perfect Word. We're praising God for His good plan. Praising God for His righteous decisions. So, verse five, the first half of verse five, He loves righteousness and justice. Right? And we skip down to verse thirteen through fifteen, where that fills it out. This is where God fill. This is where the psalmist unpacks that a little bit of God's righteous decisions. So the Lord looks down from heaven; He sees all the children of man. From where he sits enthroned, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashioned the heart of them all and observes all their deeds. Right. So the the main picture that's going on here is uh, all of humanity thinks that we're hot stuff and we got it together, and God has to look down to be able to see us. <laughs> right. It's, it's the the picture. is a bit of like it's a bit of a a slight humor in the sense of like we think we are like the best thing that's ever happened and we've got these great plans. And don't you know, um, my 5, 10, 20-year plan is going to get me in this place, right? Or I'm going to get my company in this direction or I'm going to achieve these sort of things or I'm, I'm going to accomplish these sort of things with my life. We think we're great and we got it together and we can read all the self-help books and listen to the Tim Ferriss podcast and get our lives together. But God, the, the image is God sitting in heaven, he actually has to kind of like stoop over. Oh, okay. You know, <laughs> he looks down. Oh, okay. I see what's going on. Right. we we got these huge grand plans. Oh, okay. I got gotcha. you. Right. They, they have this picture. I don't know if you guys remember the story of the Tower of Babel um, in Genesis um, chapter 11. But the funny thing is, the story goes, basically, this is back when everybody spoke the same language, and they're like, hey, we're going to build a big tower up to heaven because we're hot stuff, and we're going to show everybody else we are the best. Yay, (laughs) Babel. And in the middle of the story, the way the story is written, it's written in this old story style where, like, you have, like, a line at the beginning and a line at the end, and they match, and it kind of, like, zeroes in on the main point. And the main point of the whole story is right in the middle of uh, chapter eleven, verse five, and it says, "The Lord came down to see the tower and the t- uh, city and the tower which the children of man had built." That's the main point of the Tower of Babel. God had to—they—they they were so big in their own eyes. They had everything going for them, right? They had their flags all over. They had their bricks going high. They were so big, and God had to come down to see them, right? I mean, it's like. Look at, my, look at my huge mountain that I'm building for my, my name and who I am and what's going on with my life. And uh, you realize you kind of zoom out and it's a little molehill. <laughs> right, that's the image. Right? God, God is not impressed. <laughs> but more importantly, God, not only is God not impressed, he sees clearly what's going on. Right? He sees the inner workings of the heart. Right? Verse 15, he who fashions the heart of them all and observes all their deeds. Right, so not as God not impressed, but he sees the flip side. He sees the reality of what's going on inside. He sees the inner workings of our desires, he sees the inner workings of our thoughts. Right, from this last week. What are the things that we've thought, done, seen, said, wished, desired, like even if it was like a fleeting that we really would if we were to put it on display on the TV, it would horrify us other people know this about us. God sees all that stuff. He sees everything. Nothing is hidden from him. And he has a right understanding of it too. right? So he's not fooled by all of our well it was a mistake, I didn't mean to, I kind of slipped out, I didn't mean to do that. He's not fooled by any of that. He sees exactly who we are. Without any pretense. Right, so that's kind of begin to kind of cause us some pause. Like, oh Wow. (laughs) this guy sees everything about me I was listening uh, to this interview this morning uh, between some two uh, YouTube personalities um, do some uh, you know political commentary and uh, stuff like that and one of the things they were talking about is um, sometimes they've said things that they've gotten on the wrong side of the cultural opinion um, these actually weren't Christians so there wasn't like from a Christian perspective it was just uh, actually they're two atheists and they are talking about how they'll say things that they get on the wrong side of cultural opinion and then uh, maybe they'll accidentally say something they didn't mean to say or say something that wasn't really kind of like um, truly reflective of their full opinion and then like, the whole culture would just kind of like go like, can you believe that they actually said that, like that's their opinion, you are such a bad person, <laughs> right and they're like I don't mean to be, a, like I don't mean to say that and I'm not a bad person, I'm like hey back off like no, 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 when it comes to God he doesn't just kind of see like your opinion with his opinion of you does not kind of like hinge on like did you mean to say that was that really who you are he sees exactly who you are deep down into the heart but like we saw in last week psalm 32 we are people that are fully known and fully loved right this is not a, a knowledge of us that's separated from his heart of love to redeem us and to have compassion on weak and sinful people what we're saying here is that god sees us rightly and truly, but he doesn't just leave us there, right? The whole purpose of this story in the whole Bible is that God sees us and he knows what's going on and he comes after us to save us, to to redeem us, to fix us by the death of his son, right? He knows who we are. So we sing about that all the time in our songs, right? We're fully known that we are sinners and that we're a wreck and that left to ourselves, we can't figure it out. We we call that the gospel, right? That Jesus is enough, that we're a wreck, and without him, we're just left as a wreck, right? Jesus is perfect, and he's what we need. We often do it in our prayers as well. uh, There's this prayer that was recovered in the Reformation uh, by Thomas Cramner. It was put into this uh, book called The Book of Common Prayer. It's actually kind of become a famous prayer. It's called the the Collect, which is just a word for, uh, for prayer. The Prayer of Purity. Almighty God, Unto whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from, no, and from whom no secrets are hid. Right? So, this is the verses we've been looking at. God sees the heart. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of thy Holy Spirit, that we may, be per, that we may perfectly love thee and worthily magnify thy holy name. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. See, the, the purpose of this prayer is to look at this truth and say, we're not left there. God knows us truly and perfectly, but he doesn't leave us there. He wants to change us from the inside, change our desires, change our affections, change what we want. And so we sing that in our songs because often we need to sing that to ourselves. God, I'm not left to who I am, but you know who I am. And I want to be like Jesus. So the fourth thing we're going to look at, the the, the fifth one, the earth is full, verse five, second half of it, the earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. And that gets filled out in verses 16 to 19. Right, where they, You have this picture of what's going on where the kings are not saved by the great armies. You've got all the power that you could possibly have. Another contrast. Another, the, all the power you could possibly have in the entire world. The great armies. They don't come to, they don't come to saving us. They don't come to our rescue. They ultimately fall apart. Right, you think about like even um, even the best like weightlifters and bodybuilders like these guys are like ripped. <laughs> They're huge guys. I saw a picture of a guy. He's a real famous weightlifter from Norway, and like he can't even like I mean just a huge hunk of human flesh, like just a huge dude, and he can't even like sit in like normal seats. Like he's just so big, <laughs> right? But all it takes is for a car to hit him, or for cancer to get him. Or for a plane to go down, and all that muscle comes to nothing, right? All of the all the strength that we have, all that we bring to the table, it does not save us. It does not rescue us in the end. It does not. uh, It does not prevent the bad things of life from happening. But look at verse eighteen with me. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear Him, on whose hope. Uh, on those who hope in his steadfast love. Now, what's fascinating is you look at verse 15, uh, 13, the Lord looks down from heaven. Remember that picture we were talking about? We're kind of like, oh, okay. The Lord looks down. But here we have in verse 18 Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those. His, I, he is focused in, He is close to and attentive and zeroed in on who? Those who fear him those who recognize who God is and love him for who he is and honor him and respect him and and bow down to him. God is close to those people. So that's you. God, God's got his eye right on you. He knows the problems that are going on. He knows how things are not playing out the way you thought they would. He knows that this last week was the hardest week of your life. He knows that things are not going the way you wanted them to go. He is focused in and his love is focused in on you. So that's looking at God, praising God for his faithful love. <laughs> God has set his steadfast love on you when you look to him and fear him. right? And he, he doesn't just set his steadfast love kind of like, here's a Hallmark card, I love you. No, he, the steadfast love of God has two things it does. right? Verse 19, he delivers our soul from death. Like, death is kind of like the permanent picture. <laughs> He delivers your soul from death. In Christ, you will never die though your body goes to the grave. And he keeps them alive in famine, which means all the disasters, the things that did not go the way you wanted them to, right? So remember, this is written to people. Their entire livelihood was made on crops and sheep. And if famine came, it was bad news because there was no food to give to the sheep and therefore there was no sheep to cut uh, to make meat or to, there there's no cow to milk for milk, Right? Famine comes, everything's gone. God keeps them from famine, which does not mean that bad things don't happen in in our lives as Christians. What it does mean is those things do not ultimately define our lives, right? Bad things will happen. I just want you to know, bad things will happen. There's going to be things that happen in the next year that you did not anticipate. But they will not ultimately take your soul away from God himself, And so we sing songs like the deep, deep love of Jesus, right? Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus, vast, unmeasured, boundless, free, rolling as a mighty ocean in its fullness over me, underneath me, all around me is the current of your love, leading onward, leading homeward to your glorious rest above. Right? We sing these truths into our hearts because we often experience lives that want to teach us, apart from God, that these things are not true. That God's word is confusing. That God's purposes are deceiving. Right? That God's decisions are unjust. And that God's love has, called, has been called into question. Right? We sing songs about these four things because we want to teach to our, our hearts. No, God can be trusted. His word is good. We can trust his word. His plans for us, whatever they are, they're in Jesus, so they're going to be good. God is always right and just. He will never let any wrong thing that's happened to you or any wrong thing that you've done go unpunished. And in Christ, that means all the guilt is removed. There's nothing else to be paid. And if something wrong has happened, God will deal with that. And we want to remember, we want to sing into our hearts that God is faithful. His love is good. So what I want to do is we're going to close here. We're just going to close by looking at the beginning and end of this psalm. You guys cool with that? We're going to look at the beginning of the end real quick. Remember here in verse 3, sing a new song to him, sing to him a new song. We could read that and say, "Like, see what, we need to write new hymns, new songs, new worship songs. This is what we should be doing. Now, that's true. We should be. But what's actually going on in that verse is what he's saying is a new experience, a fresh experience of God's saving work, of God's saving work um, to accomplish these things that he's said, Right? So, what was in view when this psalm was written? It was looking towards a day where the word would not merely be spoken to uphold the world, but would take on flesh. The Son of God would take on flesh and live among us. It was looking towards a day where God's good plan would not just kind of be um, God working with and being patient with the nation, but God sending a son Who would be good to us and become our good king? He was looking forward to a day where God would not only sound, um, tell us about his righteous decisions, but he would execute his righteousness, righteous judgment on his son. And he's looking forward to a day where Jesus would come and fulfill the steadfast love and take God's wrath in our place so that we could enjoy the presence and fellowship and friendship of God, right? It's looking towards a day where the new song, the new experience of God's work would be in Jesus, right? So, so that's why all of our songs are all about what God's done in Jesus, how he's accomplished these things in Jesus, we, the realization of God's plan to save us, the word becoming flesh and taking life among us, walking perfectly in our place, Right, Jesus is the new song that God has written so that we sing eternally about who Jesus is. And we see this, I, just, I couldn't end without looking at this, just to point this out to you. At the end, at, at the end of the Bible in Revelation 5, God says this, we have this picture in the throne room of heaven where Jesus has just accomplished everything to save us, to, to take us out of our sin uh, from the, underneath the judgment of God and to bring us into God's presence eternally where we can know and experience for certain God's goodness towards us. And it says that there's a scroll, which would have been the, the will of God that nobody else could open or understand. And then somebody comes forth. And who is it? It's the, it's the lion and yet it's the lamb, the, the kind and good Jesus Steps up and he takes the scroll and he opens it so that he can give us the will of God, God's good will for us, to teach us about who God is and to save us, and then to, to write God's word in our heart. And then it says in verse 9 of chapter 5: And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals. For you were slain, God's righteous judgments, you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And how is God's faithfulness realized? And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God that they shall reign on the earth. You see, these four themes are actually, they're pretty consistent through the Bible, right? God's word is true and perfect and good. His plan is good for us. His righteous decisions and his faithful love, right? Those are the things that we are called to to praise God for because we often forget them. We are made, we are saved to know God and to praise him. So that's why the, the psalm, I think, ends. Verse 20, O soul, our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield because between this day still... There's a new song to be written, and we need God to strengthen our hope and to protect us as we walk towards that final day where a new song will be written about the accomplishment of God's total redemption, total changing of the entire world. <laughs> our hearts will be go- are glad in him because we trust in his holy name. Final verse, let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us even as we hope in you. Right? So there's this final picture God, we are singing about who you are. We are hoping in who you are. We know that it's true. And as we do that, right now, as we look to God, God, we hope in you. His steadfast love rests upon us. Did you know that as we're talking about God and looking at his word and singing about him tonight, that he's happy with that? He's happy with you singing about who he is. He's happy with you hearing about who he is in his word. He's happy about you coming to his table to eat a meal with him. He's happy about you responding to and receiving his forgiveness afresh in Jesus. Those who know God, those who know this God, we praise him because he's been good to us. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have been good to us and saved us in Jesus so that we can look to your word and find fresh hope and faith. And God, we ask that you would stir our hearts as we sing about your goodness to us in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. Please feel free to share or distribute this content, but do not charge for it or alter the content in any way without permission. King's Cross Church exists to treasure